Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the 44th chapter, the opening eight verses. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Yet hear me now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord, who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not. O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob, Another will write with his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I have appointed the ancient people And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts in the fifth chapter beginning at verse 27 and continuing through verse 40. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. When they had brought them, the disciples, uh, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, Jesus, Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so it is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. And then he said to them, Fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him also were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Leave them alone. 
Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him. And when they had called in the apostles, they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Last Sunday, we celebrated with great fanfare the resurrection of the Lord. We sang hymns of gladness and we repeated with joy the refrain, He is risen. He is risen indeed. In the weeks since, how much thought, I wonder, have we given to this wonder? How much have we reflected on this miracle of miracles? How much have we spoken of it in our homes and elsewhere? In a rather unusual confluence of the calendar, this year the Jewish observance of Passover and the Christian commemoration of Easter took place over the same weekend. Key to the Hebrew celebration of their festival, as those who were here for the meal before the Maundy Thursday service would recall, is the telling of the story of God's saving work on behalf of his chosen people. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he rescued his children from their slavery and gave them freedom and with it a new identity. That salvific work is not forgotten. It is read about, it is spoken of, it is taught from generation to generation. Throughout their histories, their ups and downs, their days of plenty and their days of want, the thing that bound the Israelites together was their shared history and the God who authored that history. This was the tradition into which Jesus and most, if not all, of his followers were born into and with which they all grew up. And it was the tradition they maintained when it came to the gospel stories. These people were bound and determined to talk about God and what God had done and was doing for his people. And I would wager to guess that the Pharisees would have been much more tolerant of Jesus and his followers if they had stuck to talking about what God had done for the Hebrews in their shared history so long ago. But no, as we read in this morning's passage from the book of Acts, from the time of his crucifixion and resurrection, the followers of Jesus continued to teach in his name. In other words, they had taken up the preaching of the message which he had brought to the people of Galilee, Judea, Jericho, and Jerusalem. This was a message of a God who was still actively at work in the world, setting people free from whatever enslaved them in mind, in body, or in spirit. This was a message that those who were in the places of power were not all that thrilled to hear, for it meant that the systems that had been built and maintained, that the systems which had been built and which maintained their influence might be at some point be rendered obsolete or at least in need of some major 
renovations. It has been said, if only slightly facetiously, that the seven last words of the church will be, that's the way we've always done it. Perhaps we inherited that sentiment of this phrase from the ancient Jewish religious authorities. They were not impressed with the new ways and words of this recently deceased rabbi, nor those who continued them after his removal. So they hauled this bunch accused of perpetuating these heresies into prison and then into their courtroom and then gave them a dressing down. Yet again, they begin, you rabble have defiled our instructions prohibiting the dissemination of this false doctrine of your so-called gospel. In so doing, you're trying to look like the, you're trying to make us look like the bad guys in all of this, those guilty of a murder, which we were in no way responsible for. We implore you again, therefore, be quiet. But Peter and the other disciples were quick to counter with their charge from God to continue to speak the truth, even if it were inconvenient for some. And this left many of the Pharisees in quite a lather. Wise Gamaliel, he has a way forward here that will avert further unpleasantries based on previous experiences over the last many, many years, he says. We've seen a, a star or two or more even rise die, and vanish. The head is cut off, and within a short time, the body dies too. What we are seeing play out before us here, gentlemen, is hopefully a very similar situation. Provided this plan or work is something from men, ignore it, and it will go away. Here, 2,000 years on, despite some concerted efforts to the contrary, it has yet to go away. This plan, this work, this message, and the institution dedicated to preserving it, called the church, has yet to disappear. Gamaliel left the door open to the possibility that this might not be something purely of men, but of God. We believe that in the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrated a week ago on Easter Sunday, God showed convincingly that this movement and this message, the word and the truth behind it, was indeed from God. God has exalted Jesus to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, so claimed the apostles. And so we affirm in the church's creeds and confessions. Through the Almighty's working of miraculous power, Jesus was vindicated in his claim to be the Jewish Messiah and Savior to the nations. That doctrine is the one that the Jewish authorities rejected and that which they were keen to suppress. And that doctrine is the same one that the world continues to reject and is ever keen to suppress. Man, after all, has never been keen to hear a narrative that says they're a mess, 
that we are in need of help, we would like to think that while perhaps not perfect, we are by and large okay, that we have a few rough edges on our own, we can work them out given enough time and effort. So we've developed a gospel of human progress, which extols the virtues of the evolutionary process, leading us onward to increasing levels of self-awareness and competence and even compassion. Such a gospel which places her faith and trust firmly in science has no need for nor room of an outside agent to assist or to interfere. Thank you very much. This is the gospel of the atheists and the agnostics, of the intellectual elites and the religious nuns. It has become the default gospel of the world, I think, precisely because we as individual believers in Jesus and corporately as the church have failed to more fully live into the calling to which all disciples, beginning with this band of apostles in Jerusalem, have been entrusted. History has shown us the truth to the proverb, ignore it and it will go away. And this is why I am so passionate about our Christian witness, why I think, as a recent example, that the most important task of the church is not found in divestiture from companies involved in the fossil fuel production and consumption cycle, nor in the other contemporary cause celebre of our time. While I don't want to downplay the importance they may have to individuals or to the corporate standard of living that we collectively have here on planet Earth, I see the stewardship of the divinely appointed office of all humanity to be important. However, there are many, many groups around this world which are dedicated exclusively to addressing such concerns, but there is indeed only one group dedicated to the movement and the message of Jesus. Church, if we continue to abandon this central task of our calling, if we continue to ignore the transmission of the gospel in word and in deed, then we will fulfill, fulfill the real seven last words of the church. Ignore it and it will go away. Oh yes, the church itself may live on as a historical footnote or even as a quaint family tradition that we observe a, a time or two out of the year, mostly out of habit. But a bunch of old buildings devoid of the life-giving, life-sustaining message of the church is but an empty shell. As we are reminded of once again this morning at the beginning of the fifth chapter in Acts, the disciples who became apostles knew the risks, but they also knew the vitality of continuing to speak the truth about the way and the truth and the life. Nothing could threaten or persuade them to give up the witness that had been entrusted to them. And we have inherited that very same vocation. How then will we respond? A week ago, I stood here in the front of this sanctuary, uh, well, 
right down here, and invited the children to come forward to talk about the meaning of an empty tomb. Six youngsters came up, and that was roughly 10% of the congregation that day. They were full of knowledge, and nothing could contain their enthusiasm as they told me all about the story of Easter. The power of the resurrection and the love of God in Jesus, wasn't it great? Church, when did the rest of us stop being children? Peter and the others who were dragged in before the Hebrew religious leaders were eyewitnesses to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. They were full of wonder and amazement and hope. Like children, they could not constrain themselves. They could not contain the truth, and they just had to share it, even if it risked ruffling some feathers. Are we willing to take a risk for the sake of the gospel, or would it simply be better not to speak the truth and to appease the world, even if it means allowing them to go astray? I really do hope that more of us will choose the former path than the latter. It was important enough for Jesus that he included the admonition in his farewell address to his disciples as he prepared to ascend to his heavenly throne at the right hand of the Father. May we too be reminded and inspired by the example of Peter and his friends who could do no other than speak the truth about Jesus who came in the midst of a sinful world and has reconciled us to the Father through his perfect atoning sacrifice, repairing the breach we had made in our covenantal relationship with God and gifting us with new life, abundant and eternal, which enables us to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. If we abandon this message or abdicate the authority vested in us by the Holy Spirit of God, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, then it may well be said of Christians, ignore them and they will go away. For this reminder and for this cautionary tale, may we say thanks be to God and amen.